back to Queer Alien Blast, we're a Roswell, New Mexico podcast that focuses on LGBTQ issues. And for this episode, we are going to start our recap of season one with episodes one through six. So episode one, everybody knows, it's the pilot. We're introduced to um, our beloved characters and the big event of this episode is, of course, Max um, bringing Liz back to life or healing her. 20 years of keeping this secret and now you up and resurrect someone? Rosa Orteco's sister. You weren't there. Okay, you didn't see it. I couldn't just let her die. So this is the catalyst for the whole season, really. Um, Liz later on having to figure out what happened to her. And so Max is, for, for let's say, forced to tell her um, about aliens and about his family. I wanted to um, focus on this in particular because it's it's interesting how they pose it as the aliens being outed and this being a, a LGBTQ podcast. Um, it's interesting this parallel between the alien identity and what could be, you know, sexuality, like being outed as as queer. So I wanted to talk about this a little bit, especially, I think, with Michael, because um, we know that Max talks about it um, with Isabel beforehand, before telling Liz, but it doesn't, it, it's not really shown that it does uh, talk to Michael about it, um, and it could be because of their relationship, but it's also, it kind of rubs me in the wrong way that Michael is not that Max doesn't talk to Michael before telling Liz. So what do you guys think about that? Well, to me, during the show, Max and Isabel make decisions without consulting Michael with things that concern Michael at every turn. Yeah. And so this is just the first instance in a long line of Michael not being consulted on anything to do with his own life. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's clearly framed a lot of times in later episodes that it's, it's almost treated like it's only Max's secret or yeah. that... He's sort of the the gatekeeper of who gets to know and when. And I think much later, like episode 11 or something, you know, Michael mentions that... You're the one who never wanted us to ask questions. Never wanted us to call attention to ourselves. You made the rule and then we followed it blindly. And now there's someone out there who's stronger than us who knows more about us than we do. This is Max's decision, Max's decision to keep it quiet... And so Max sort of takes that as is that it's his decision to tell people or not. Um, mm-hmm. So he just sort of takes charge when everyone is at risk here. I mean, all three have something to lose or people to lose. He never let me heal it. Yeah. How would I explain a perfectly good hand to Alex? Anything to protect the secret. But he just sort of assumes that, you know, like he does in every situation, he sort of assumes the that I'm in charge, I'm I'm the older brother sort of thing, um, which is annoying. (laughs) Well, and you have to think that beyond Michael, like Isabel, you know, you have to assume that at some point she probably wanted to tell Noah and got 
presumably anyway got shot down and but you know when max wants to tell somebody max gets to tell somebody yeah exactly and and isabel does say that uh, a couple of times in the pilot um she's like i am married to someone who can't ever know who i am and that kills me but i keep this secret because you me and michael swore that we would and now in one moment you've thrown that all away on some girl you had a thing for in high school hope she was worth it max mm-hmm. so it's in the show that it it's posed as something problematic for isabel i think i don't think that we see a lot of um michael's point of view until much later like you said amanda so um i wanted to talk about max It's been a while since we talked about Max. <laughs> um, and in the pilot, like immediately the thing that comes to mind is Max uh, being a cop, right? It's basically like the first thing we see. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also oh, yeah. like one of the first th- things he says. Yeah, I'm sorry. I uh, just came to tell you your left front running light is out. What? You, uh, you peeled out before I could say anything, but that's why I stopped you. I'm not one of the bad guys, Liz. Mm-hmm. No. I I just the nature the nature of police officers in this country right now and then sort of where this debate we're always having about good cops and bad cops and what you know what they're doing. I just I kind of I know that there are parts of um the you know Max and Liz and and different parts of the fandom other than the Malix one that have a mm-hmm. problem with of Max being a cop and And, and Liz being Hispanic, and obviously yeah. they, that was on purpose. <laughs> I mean, this isn't by accident. But I kind of like that they did it that way, that they made Max a cop, because I think because of what's going on in the, our country, there's always a, I'm more hyper aware of what Max does or says, or, you know, I, I'm, I'm eager to see what they're going to do with that, especially when it comes to, they talked about, you know, like the immigration stuff and that you know he's not the type he's not the kind of cop that would sort of sell people out you know to immigration and i'm i'm hoping that that's not really like dropped that that sort of comes up again because it's a conversation that that should be had so i i'm one of the ones i'm actually kind of glad they made max a cop i don't i don't know maybe that makes me weird but and i did like that line when he goes to the crash down before liz gets shot and he tells her that, you know, he became a cop because he wanted to protect people. So why did you join the force? Why does anybody do anything? Come on. I like protecting people. It helps me sleep at night. And you wanted to help people. Right. And I think that, I, I think that's something that's nice to see just because I think that's the majority of cops in this country and... I think they do. I think for on the whole, they genuinely want to help people. So I think it's an interesting conversation to see a cop who is sitting there and saying, I don't want to do these things, but he has to. And I, I mean, I know it plays into Max's hero complex, but I think it. I, I really liked that line. I appreciated that, that, you know, he's like, this isn't what I signed up for. Right. Um, I think what's going to be key is what he does going forward if the you know, if it keeps, the show keeps bringing up current events and kind of moving it along in a parallel line with what's happening. Um, I have a whole family of law enforcement and, and former military. 
And there's a line where you just sort of have to toe the toe the the government line. Like you can say that, but then you also have a job that you have to do, and if you don't do it, you'll get disciplined or fired. And so I really, really hope yeah. at some point we see some sort of struggle from X where he does have to actually prove that he's a, a good cop rather than just sort of saying it when it comes especially to the immigration um, issues in the show, like that he can actually prove that he's not like everyone else or, or whatever it may be. So that's what I'm, I'm hoping to see eventually. Yeah. Um, so something else uh, we know from the, from the get go is of course, Max's feelings for, for Liz and I think we've talked about this a lot in the last episode, but I want to bring it up again because I love the parallels. So I think one of the interesting ones that we get from, you know, the pilot is the fact that the Max says to, to Isabel that if he if he'd been able to fall in love with someone else in the 10 years that he hasn't seen Liz, uh, that he would have. Fall in love with someone else, Max. Anyone else? It's been 10 years is, if I could have, I would have. And then, you know, of course you see how Malik plays out after that. And you see how Max tries to, to do that as well, to go out and be with someone else, with Jenna. Um, so I think that's really, it's one of my favorite parallels. Favorite, like it's the baseline of being like, that's the love of my life. That's my soulmate, you know, so. Right. Um, my biggest fear that I don't want to happen from the those lines, though, is what I don't want it to be is that aliens imprint on someone and then mm-hmm. are never able to let them go because I don't want it to be a, I want it to always be a choice. Yeah. For everyone, including Max and Liz. And, and you know, I want it, I don't want it to rely too much on that part it is such a great line and i absolutely love it just like you i mean that's fantastic um but i just don't want the show to go in that direction at any point i want it to be more of a a, an actual like i loved you so much i couldn't let you go i couldn't move on versus a i biologically couldn't move on or i couldn't let you go and i could see it going either way with that see and i'm kind of the opposite because i'm a sucker for like soulmates AUs and the idea <laughs> Oh, that, I love them. Yeah, no, you're yeah, wrong. <laughs> the idea that um not I guess not necessarily imprinting cuz I I feel like that's like into like twilight levels of creepy. Right. <laughs> but having this connection where you're, you know, you're this is your person. Right. And like there's still choice involved, but you know that this is your person and I think that's stupid romantic. So, I kind of I'd love to see that. I'd love to see some kind of biological aspect to the to the connection because otherwise i feel like if there's not with malix it was a little different because they were actually together 10 years ago and i feel like with echo it's a little creepier that max has pined after this girl from high school for 10 years that he was never really with it kind of is yeah well, but we, I mean, we don't really know that that's sort of the unknowing. All we know is they didn't sleep together 10 years ago, but they still had a powerful connection, yeah. you know, when they were out, you know, parallel with Malik's in the, the UFO muse- museum. And, and I think that could be just as powerful. They really sort of felt seen 
I'm defending Max here. Oh my so I god! I need someone to realize that this is what's happening, um, because I think that 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 almost or that what could have happened, especially because we don't know what happened that summer afterwards, right? So I think I kind of love that they stopped Max and Liz where they did 10 years ago. I think that that's, to me, that's even more romantic that Mm -hmm. it's sort of a, you know, he's always envisioning what could have been. I don't know. Yeah. Um, But since we've, we've talked about Malik's, again, I said it a million times, but I love that we know from the get go that they are a thing. Right, 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 right. I love it. Um, And it's not something I think it's not something that we see a lot with queer characters or relationships unless it's you know like a, a queer show you know like queer as folk yell word like stuff like that that are just basically just queer characters um but with um shows that are diverse um with shows like that I think that a lot of the time there's a lot of build up to um you know either a character's coming out or uh, a relationship so i love that we didn't have to wait like it it was there like we had to wait what 30 minutes (laughs) to get to get it and (laughs) and throughout like even throughout the pilot you know that something is up so i i love it and um, I love that Karina even has said it. I said that recently that she um, she could have cut like they were I don't know pressuring her to cut stuff from the pilot because it, it it was too long and they uh, told her to like she could have cut the kiss and she didn't want to. So like I appreciate that I really do. Oh God, Karina is the real MVP for not cutting that kiss. Like yeah. <laughs> oh no, we would be right. Uh, you know, speaking of uh, Echo and Malik's. Um, parallels. I do want to say that I my one of my favorite parallels is when they first see each other in the pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Those are two of my favorite scenes. Um, those the four actors. I mean, they just killed it. Just the looks on their faces and like all that longing and surprise mm-hmm. and and all of that is probably because of, I mean immediately from the moment we've we meet we meet them, they're set up in a parallel, and I think that they are you know even. Um, continuing on the entire show, but especially the pilot. So I, that is one of my favorite, you know, ways they could have introduced these characters to one another. Um, well, and I know I was texting you guys when I was rewatching and that moment when Michael turns Alex around and Alex sees Michael and his face just goes so soft. Hey! Hey, that's private property! Alex. I know, I know. Because then, again, you know, that's the same, that's what I loved about them when Max and Liz had that same scene, is that this is the person that changes their entire, I mean, you can, you can just see all four of them have this, you know, just sort of inhale Mm -hmm. and this, you know, um, tension sort of releasing out of them. Liz. Max. Um just at the side of the other one um and i love that yeah but i i i want to take a second also just to pray especially in that pilot because that's what brings you into the show as a whole because very easily i could have just watched the michael and alex scenes i've done that with shows you know but the show as a whole dragged me in with the pilot yeah um, because of the way the characters were introduced 
Mm-hmm. Even because in episode one, Max wasn't super problematic for me at that point. Um, and so even the Max and Liz, because I started out as very much interested in Echo. And I loved a lot of their dynamics in the first couple of episodes. And so that was that was probably the one of the best parts, pilots I've watched in terms of character introduction. And I mean, it's even, it's the pilots really focus on Max and Liz. So if you're not, you know, drawn in from them, like it doesn't work, you know? So right. the thing that works is Max and Liz's dynamic because otherwise there's very little that doesn't have to do with them in the pilot. So I think like they nailed it in, in the pilot. I'm, I, you know, I'm not a big Max fan, but um, yeah, it wasn't, it, it, it was interesting in the pilot i'll say that right (laughs) well and you know nathan may be problematic which is unfortunate but you can't deny that he and janine have insane chemistry and i think oh absolutely Absolutely. i mean not only is it important for like the main character of a show but when you're bringing these characters back to life and the original max and liz in the original show had such great chemistry that's a lot of pressure and it could have gone really wrong. And I think, you know, Echo was, is such a big part of the show that even if you don't necessarily like hardcore ship them, it's still important that you at least think, yeah, these two have feelings for each other and these two are really great together for it to work. Yeah. Right. You know, Malik's can't carry the whole show, unfortunately. And they shouldn't have to, you know, they shouldn't have to. Right. There should be something else it's not the malik's show someone is gonna kill me for saying this but it's not the malik's <laughs> show so it's important that um you know there are compelling relationships and characters outside of outside of that that have nothing to do with it too right yeah. that we can dissect and you know maybe not necessarily on this podcast because obviously we're a queer focus one um but as a, for the show to be successful that that's what it requires even when characters are problematic problematic like max you know well Ed, when i was watching rewatching the pilot i got really sad during the isabella noah scenes because i remember watching oh yeah watching it when it aired and they were so oh i love it together and such like a healthy portrayal yeah. of of a healthy heterosexual relationship that and just like a healthy marriage and it was yeah. yes yeah and just made me sad Oh, I mean, it's heartbreaking because it's, I mean, the way Isabel is introduced is important to me personally, like the way, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and there's a lot about their relationship that I just valued. And that is, it's, it's so hard to watch them now mm-hmm. because it would, it feels like, I don't know, like something was taken away. Like some, someone that I really, or a relationship I saw myself in a little bit and was really, you know, were destroyed and now it's just creepy, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. So um, another thing that I, I keep thinking about it every time uh, I watch, watch the pilot is Liz's comment about her mom's and Rosa's mental illness. Can you keep a secret? Of course. My mother is mentally ill. My sister Rosa too. I think that's why she got into drugs when we were kids, you know, self-medicating, quieting voices. And I was always afraid I would end up like them. Hallucinating. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and it's interesting that she says um, that Rosa, she thinks that Rosa used drugs to, you know, self-medicate and quiet the voices. And I think that that's really interesting because, you know, of what Michael says about music, you know, being quieting the, the chaos. Well, it's the only thing that makes me feel quiet. Playing music. Quiet. I have all this chaos going on inside me all the time. And all I want to do is get away from myself. But then I play and my, uh, my entropy changes. Everything goes quiet. Right. Um, which is an interesting parallel. But I think also the, just for, you know, Rosa's, uh, Rosa and Liz's mom, it's interesting that they made this comment about mental illness that I'm not sure is actually, you know, developed in the season. So I think it's interesting that it's said in the pilot, but we haven't really seen much evidence, I think. Right. I don't know if it's one of those things that's going to be dropped after the pilot. You know, those things get dropped when they, you know, they yeah, decided yeah, yeah. to focus on them, which happens the least in this show than any show I've ever mm -hmm. watched. Um, the pilot flows pretty well. There are some shows that it's very disconnected from, but that is intriguing and also one that can be done incorrectly very quickly. Yeah. Like showing mental illness on a show like that is on the CW that's there for yeah. drama and, and great effect. I just, you know, I don't want them to drop it. I want them to, to, to go forward with it, but I'm just sort of like, you know, waiting just, just do it justice, you know, yeah. if, if you're going to make that a, a major part of the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess with um, season one only having Rosa for flashbacks that were focused on other parts, like other main storylines, they didn't really, I guess, have the time to explore that. I hope that with season two having Rosa back, right. oh, um, yeah. <laughs> that we'll get maybe not like a whole storyline, but, you know, at least some more development of this issue because it's, it's an important one. So mm -hmm. the other um, note I have I had for the pilot is I know we touched on this a little bit already in Michael's episode, but I want to um, explore again the, the issue of kind of every character being very dismissive of Michael's life and life's life choices mm -hmm. um and we see mm -hmm. this throughout the season but um there are little comments in in the pilot about you know um max saying that michael doesn't care about you know doesn't care enough to change the world michael won't leave why michael outscored me on every ap exam he i thought he would get some scholarship change the world i don't think michael likes the world enough to bother changing it that line no 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 you're no you're right that line is infuriating on so many levels but anyway the assumption is you have to leave your hometown to change the world the assumption yeah. is you have to go to college to change the world and all of that is bullshit also the assumption that you have to change the world at all in these big dramatic ways or that you have to save people or that you have to make some large impact and that's how you know your life is successful is absolute horseshit and that is what 
bogs people in their 20s down with this fascination or obsession with, you know, what did you do after high school and and have you failed in some way? And I just, that's crap. (laughs) Mike, you know, and Michael has his issues that he needs to address. And there are some ways that he can make his life a lot happier, as talked about the finale, but that he's some sort of failure in some way because he didn't take his education further is that rubs me the wrong way because as someone who, you know, went to college and then went to graduate school and spent the majority of my life in school and now I'm out and I'm not using it at all in any way. Does that mean that you're a failure of some kind? I just, I can't believe that that would be true and that they would look at Michael and and think that that's true. Well, and that line, that line is bullshit anyway, because especially knowing now that Max knows why Michael didn't go to college and why he didn't change the world or whatever, that he was trapped in Roswell in a lot of ways because of a lot of choices that Max made. And yet Max is going to sit here and say, oh, Michael doesn't care enough to change the world. And Michael doesn't care about anybody. He's never done anything for anybody but himself. And Which is okay. And knowing what you know now about Michael and Isabella Max and and everything that happened with Rosa that Max says that makes me want to punch him in the face oh yeah I mean from the context that we have in very little context that we have in the pilot that line makes sense it's it's still you know it's still something very rude to say you know like okay it makes sense with how we see Michael in the pilot right but, um, you know, how angry he is, how, like, his situation and everything. But in hindsight... We know a lot different, right? Yeah. I wanted to bring one thing up. I had it in my notes. Yeah. Um, but when I was watching episode one, I thought of, I, that scene in the crash down with Max and Liz before she gets shot, she tells him that she was working on a regenerative, regenerative medicine study. Mm-hmm. And then now she's going to spend, what, season, part, at least part of season two, bringing Max back. So, where you been? Denver, working on an experimental regenerative medicine study. We were onto something special, but of course, we lost funding because someone needs money for a wall. And I wonder if that's going to play into it somehow. Ooh. Interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. I want to see si- I want to see more scientist Liz. That's just basically. Oh yeah, for sure. I am such a, such a fan of of Liz being. A scientist. I'm so excited to see more. Absolutely. It's one of my favorite things. It just as someone who works in a clinical area, I just really want Liz to practice better um, lab hy- like hygiene and <laughs> <laughs> protocol. I really want her to pull her hair Put back. Put your hair up. Take your earrings out. Pull your hair up. <laughs> so episode two um, focuses on um the the 10 year anniversary of rosa's death um so something important that we see in this episode more so than in the pilot is the the racist result of rosa's death and Mm -hmm. and you know i want to talk about arturo for a little bit um because this man i love arturo i love him um and this man has been handling like the results of what happened with Rosa for 10 years, basically by, by himself, because we don't know that the Liz has gone back home before, you know, before we, we meet them in, in the pilot. So, um, and she, and Arturo hasn't told her 
what's been going on because she's, she's surprised every time, you know, this comes up. Every year on the anniversary of Rosa's death, someone vandalizes us. After the shooting, I didn't want to risk an escalation. Someone could get hurt. And what am I going to do if the next person who gets hurt is you? Dad, come to California with me. You don't have to stay in this place where you're constantly reminded of the worst day of your life. You think that's what I remember? The day we lost Rosa? Mija, no. I remember your mother teaching Rosa to play guitar in that booth. The party for your quinceanera when you went up to When Rosa got high and puked on Alex's main shoes. Stop. There was more to Rosa than the bad things that she did. Era tu hermana. She loved you. No, Dad. I loved her. You have to find a way to forgive her. If you don't, the ghosts will follow you, and you will never really get away. So um, it's something that I think a lot of, you know, parents feel that they have to do to protect their children. It's, it's like shoulder all of, you know, the burdens on, on themselves. Right. And um, I think that, so I'm a parent, and I love that line so much because there's not a lot of, and, and of course not on the CW, there's not a lot of focus on parenting or parents, you know, that's um, yeah. for young people, right? Um, but I love that line because I think that that's a great summation of parenting in general, that Liz is sort of going to focus on the bitterness that she remembers, you know, sort of time has hardened her a little bit and made her remember yeah. all these, you know, the, the worst parts of Rosa or worst parts of what Rosa did. And I, I mean, I think I bawled my eyes out the first time, you know, when Arturo says, you know, that's what you think I remember. Like he's not sitting around focusing on anything that that Rosa did, you know, in terms of her, you know, behavior or her, you know, drug issues or any of that, that he just, you know, misses his daughter and, you know, that's it. And that's, you know, that's all he has to say about it. And I think that that's beautiful. And that's the moment I loved Arturo forever, because it's such a great way to look at that you don't, he hasn't spent the last 10 years becoming sort of angry or bitter or focusing on all of those things. He's, he's focused on the, the good memories. And I love that. Yeah. Well, and I think death does that, you know, and Jenny, you know, if I've dealt with that lately and, you know, my mom and I didn't always have the greatest of relationships, but, you know, now that she's gone, you kind of, you look at relationships differently right? than you would, you know, if the person is still around and, you do kind of, you know, that, that line is beautiful because you do focus on kind of the better memories and you push the, the sadder stuff aside. And I think that that's what Arturo's done. I think that, and, you know, he wants to remember Rosa the way that Rosa really, I probably really was like who she really was as a person rather than what, you know, presumably mental illness or drugs or whatever did to her. Right. And, I think that's natural, and I'm glad they showed it. Right. And that Rosa is a complete character who is both of those things. She is what Liz remembers, and she is what Arturo remembers, but she's a blend of the two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? That, that it's not, you know, you have to sort of get an image of her, because at, at this point, you know, yeah. most of what we know from her character, other than the small flashbacks, comes from the little hints dropped from all these characters, and you have to sort of form them together to, to create a whole person and I kind of love that they made Arturo, it makes perfect sense that they would make Arturo the character that would 
have a more forgiving memory mm-hmm. of, of Rosa. It makes sense on because of him being her parent. So yeah, um, since we're talking about family, um, I want to focus on the scene, the Michael and, and Isabel scene in the Wild Pony. Come on. This is the perfect opportunity for you guys to get over all the ugly history of the last decade and be friends again. Max and I were never meant to be friends. We're family. No, we're not. We all just happen to hitch the same doomed ride on the same intergalactic Titanic. The day Mr. and Mrs. Evans walked into the group home, and they they picked you two, and they left me behind, that was decided. Max has spent his entire life trying to make up for that one awful moment. It wasn't his fault. Mm. We were seven. He was a grown-ass man week when he chose Liz over us it's like it's kind of you know at the beginning of the season it's so clear that Michael doesn't think he has anyone mm-hmm. uh, not that by the end of the season he does but anyway um and but I love that um you know that the line on Michael is there really nobody in this world that you wouldn't risk everything to save that's my favorite Malik scene and okay I love two things about that and one is I am a sucker for the trope of having two characters talk about something unrelated. And it's usually, you know, romantic. They're talking about another couple. Oh, yeah. And then you see one of the two characters' love interests, you know, and the cut is so clear that what they're talking about applies to them as well. And I'm a sucker for that trope. So I love that. But I also love that... And I saw this in a gift set, I think. I can't remember who it was from. But the fact that that line applies to, to Isabel from Michael's point of view. You know, he would, he would and he has risked, you know, everything to protect Isabel. So I, I love that kind of for Michael, you know, at, in that moment, you don't... Of course, it's, it's Alex, the person he would risk, risk everything to say. In that moment, you, you say, yeah, it's about Alex. But, you know, going on in, in the hindsight of having the whole season, he actually would risk everything to save a whole lot of people, you know. So, yeah, I love that. And I love Michael's and Isabel's relationship. So. Well, and that plays into like this this character trope or idea with Michael where he, you know, is this hardened bitter asshole who doesn't care about anybody when in fact he cares a lot about everyone right and i love that i mean even i you know he cares about max even if he says he doesn't right i mean he doesn't have healthy coping mechanisms and why do people keep thinking he's going to have healthy coping mechanisms he had a traumatic childhood he doesn't know how to show affection or love or Mm -hmm. accept he doesn't know like most of these characters he's fairly emotionally stunted he's not going to be as warm and open with characters and in return they're not going to be as warm and open with him i'm sure in the last 10 years he's alienated a lot of people he's spent a lot of time in the drunk tank Mm -hmm. he's probably he's an asshole he's probably said mean things i mean i you know that's who he is as the character that we know him so he probably does feel fairly isolated from everyone and that's, you know, the beautiful part of his characterization that I hope we see, you know, more as the, the show goes on. I mean, that's him trying to figure out, you know, that discovering and realizing that people love him and figuring out how to be loved and how to love other people. That's a big deal. As true for every character. Like he needs he's to be able to express his feelings without yelling them at people. Right. 
<laughs> I mean, and the same thing, it's a good parallel with Liz. I mean, Liz also has to learn to be, you know, or has learned how to be open and love someone and then look what yeah. happens. So she has to sort of, you know, a long mm-hmm. parallel with Michael. I mean, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. <laughs> All these characters need therapy. Oh, they do. Of course they do. <laughs> <laughs> So another thing, in episode two, we're also introduced to Jenna, which we we all love. Um, And she, she's a badass, we know this. But what I wanted to talk about is a scene where that shooting context with Wyatt Long. And I wanted to talk, I, d- I didn't really think about the Jenna part of that. I was thinking about Max's false feminism. You could have done that. I keep telling you, I'm a feminist. Mm. You wanted him to lose to a girl. Also that. I'm a feminist. Y'all, y'all are really trying to get us kicked out of every part of this fandom, and I love that for us. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's important, though, that we talk about this, because it's it's fake. No, absolutely. Oh, I've said it before. Uh, his fake, fake woke feminism is extremely annoying. I mean, it's yeah. not. Well, and it, it has a lot to do with how Nathan delivers those lines. Both times when he's talking to Sheriff Valenti and when he's talking to Jenna, he's got this smarmy, look at me, smirk on his face. It's gross. Well, because it's not a joke. <laughs> yeah. I mean, male feminists, this isn't a joke, Max. That's what it's en- enraging about it is, ho oh, ho, I let a girl show up Wyatt. Like, it's not, this is an actual issue about, you know, women being in charge and the view of women. It's not fucking funny. <laughs> Do you know how awesome it would be to have Max as the main character and have him be genuinely feminist? Yeah. An actual feminist. And not yeah. just like, ho oh, ho, look at me, I'm, I like girls. And you know what, here's, here's the thing. It takes more to be, you know, um, um, a male-identified ally to feminism than just crying some tears and writing some poetry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, it is. There is more to it. You know, it's you know, it's about using your privilege for a heck of a lot more than that. And I really hope that there's a reason why it was kind of treated as a joke. And I'm I'm hoping that that is gonna come up again. I mean, I have no idea. Maybe maybe actually have Max be a feminist if you're gonna have max be a feminist like understand what that means and actually do something with it or just don't make a joke about it mm-hmm. yeah uh and since we're shit talking max again um let's talk about that scene um with wyatt um he's when he's chasing wyatt after they beat up arturo um and that's you know fine you're saving arturo like that's good um, but then, as Michael says when he intervenes, he was gonna kill him. He killed Liz, and she was dead right in front of me. And he came back to finish her dad off. People like him don't stop; they don't change. So that makes you judge, jury, and executioner. Michael, and it doesn't work like that. And you're a cop; you should know that. Right. That's like number one. That's the whole. You know, when he said executioner to a cop, mm-hmm. especially given what's happened in the last five years, I was just like. That is a, such a good line because that's the issue, right? That's the issue in this country. You know, Sarah, you know, especially living mm-hmm. here. I mean, that is 
that there are cops in this country that have taken upon themselves to be judge, jury, and executioner. That's the yeah. whole point. And is Max really any different? Like, just because Max calls himself a good cop, you know, he's still in a position of power and yeah. he still is, lets his emotions get, you know, take hold of him, which could have some tragic, tragic side effects when you're in a position like a police officer. Well, and it's not just... It's not just his role as as a cop, I think, that that line plays into. It's that he seems to be the one that makes the decisions about him and, and Michael and Isabel and their secret at every turn. It's Max's opinion that matters, and it's Max's choice. And so I think that line plays into that as well, where Michael's like, you know, we always do what you say. You're the one who decides everything. Yeah, not to defend Max. Jesus, who am I? <laughs> I will say when it comes to that, that in a group that especially, you know, not, not only being siblings oh, and having gone through this traumatic thing, in a group, you're always, ha- you're always going to have a leader. You know, just knowing the three characters as we know them, it makes sense that Isabel is going to want to leave all of that behind in a way and not focus on it. Try to make a life in her eyes that is as normal as possible. And Michael has a lot of his own issues and he's sort of doing his own thing. So I think probably from a very, very young age, Max stepped up as the sort of leader of the three of them in this sort of natural position. Not to say that he didn't make terrible decisions in some ways in in that way, but I don't I don't hold it against him for being sort of the leader of the three of them, because that makes sense. I I agree to a point, but I also I want to know, are Michael and Isabel's opinions ever taken into account? Because to me, it doesn't seem like they are. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. Oh, the only last thing I want to, the only thing I wanted to say about episode two really is a shout out to that absolutely beautiful scene with um, Liz at Rose's, at the Rose's grave with that song that plays and it's just so beautiful and it's just a, an absolute moment of Janine is fantastic in acting, <clears throat> but they're, I think the, the heart of this show is that these characters feel so deeply and have such traumatic things that happen to them. So it was such a great, like, um, almost like a microcosm of the whole show to watch her do that. This sort of cathartic, you know, taking care of Rosa, even though Rosa's gone. So that was probably one of my favorite little scenes. Um, and then lastly, <laughs> my, the, you know, the end of, you know, we already did this in the Maliks episode, but the Max and Jenna part of the end of, of season two is, you know, such an interesting, um, but again, it's another one of those. If you ignore the really awkward is fuck sex that they had, very strange. But again, that m- moment of vulnerability where Jenna reaches out and touches Max's hand, it's these little things that I really, really the show is really good at. Um, these, these, these small little moments, um, in. in that they've done throughout the entire season. Those are probably two of my favorite in that episode. And I was rewatching it. You know, I'm always like overwhelmed by that Malik scene because it's just beautiful. Yeah. And so I never really paid attention to the Max and Jenna stuff. Mm-hmm. It's so awkward. <laughs> it made me uncomfortable. Well, and I think that they do a good job of, of showing him looking like death would be kinder. Cause I mean, he doesn't really <laughs> want to be there, but this is, you know, uh, this is what he knows to do to make himself feel better. And same, buddy, been there. But it just well, and I. But I'm sorry. Like, if you're having sex with Jenna Cameron, you shouldn't be looking like yeah. that. Because some. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, okay, so, and then in, at the end of episode two, um, we find out that Rosa was actually killed by an alien. So in, in episode three, of course, Liz, you know, the only alien she knows that leaves a handprint is Max. So she, she tries to, you know, experiment on him, not sexually, as <laughs> Michael brings up. <laughs> and then she goes on this little, uh, you know, treasure hunt with Maria. We get to talk about Maria. Um, I kind of, I, I always get a weird feeling from, from Maria in this episode because I don't know why, but she always looks kind of tentative about, you know, helping Liz find out stuff about Rosa. And I don't know if it's um, because, you know, some kind of best friend loyalty or it's supposed to, it, it is supposed to give out that weird, that weird feeling and play into what, you know, by episode 11 that they try to play her as the fourth alien for a little while. Um, I don't know if that, that was supposed to connect uh, but it's all like throughout the the episode, she's like, "Oh, okay, no, you know, why are we like when they get to the drive-in? She's like, why are we really here?" And, and then this is like, "I wanted to spy on 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 Max." Which, what? Like, she didn't know he was gonna be there. Like, so I I have no idea. It doesn't really make sense how they how they play that in the episode, right? They played it a lot more, like, more secretive with Maria and Rosa. Because I think, I mean, there's a such thing as, like, best friend loyalty. But Rosa, for all intents and purposes, has been dead for a decade. Why would you be hesitant to tell yeah. Liz that she was sneaking out? You know, like, all of these things. That's always, that's the strangest part to me is, you know, there is there is some loyalty. But there's also been a lot of time. And I don't know why you would be. Well, to me, it was... I want to say that the hesitancy was part of maybe she was afraid of what Liz would find. Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot, you know, the way that Kyle, when he got, when he went for the original autopsy, didn't want Liz to see that. I think that that may have played into part of it with Maria is that she, you know, who knows what they were really going to find. And it could have made Liz's memory or idea of Rosa even worse. So I feel like that's part of it. And then I think also maybe it was kind of, I feel like in the first season, they really just didn't know what to do with Maria. And so, cause her storyline goes in several different directions throughout the whole thing. And I just, I just get the feeling that they just didn't know what to do with Maria. And so they kind of just threw things at the wall and, and to see what stuck. And I think, I think that's probably part of why Maria's characterization is so uneven, especially starting from this episode. Yeah, that could be. Um, you mentioned Kyle. I want to talk about Kyle. We do. We never talk about Kyle. We always want to talk about we Kyle. We talk about Kyle. I love him. I do. I love him. And you know, I didn't. So I came from, not came from, but I watched Vampire Diaries because my best friend was obsessed with him. And yeah. he, Tyler, is such an asshole character. And so anytime I see Trevino, I'm like, oh, he's an asshole. You know. And I saw him on the show and I'm like, oh, he's going to be another asshole character. And he's not. Kyle is so genuine and and good. And I know we'll talk yeah. about this later when we get to the end of the season, you know, but you kind of got this idea towards the end that he was going off the deep end and becoming this character that not evil or bad, but, you know, different than the Kyle that we saw in the beginning of the season. Yeah. And 
he just seems like like a genuinely good dude. Yeah. And I like that in a sea of kind of not and not I'm not saying this in a bad way, but definitely asshole characters like Max and Michael and Alex are all assholes. Yeah. They just are. Yeah. And Kyle's really not. And I I like that about him. Um, I think I mean, everybody, everybody is pretty aware that I love Kyle and Liz together and it's never going to obviously ever be like in game, whatever the hell that word means. But I love watching them together because I think Liz and Max is so intense all the time that when Liz is with Kyle, she gets to lean on him a little bit more and she gets to be a little softer and she doesn't, ha- it's not so intense in terms of, you know, heightened emotions all the time that they, that they have some softness with one another. And I, I think that's why I love them so much because mm-hmm. your relationship can't be constantly screaming romantic lines at one another and like all this stress and all this. Sometimes you just want to be, you know, soft mood lighting and you want to bang it out. I mean, you know, you just want to relax and you just want to be comfortable with someone that knows you very well and has known you for a long time. And so that's, that's one of the things that I I love because Kyle does bring some rational thought and some calmness to the show that it needs because it's so overly dramatic. Yeah. Um, And he does that right from the start, you know, give, gives a lighter side to the show. Not that he's not a complex and deep character, especially we see later on. But that at the end of the day, for the most part, he's a very rational human, and that's needed. Yeah. This is probably a bad idea. I thought we were ignoring that in favor of the whole sex thing. Right. It's just, maybe I'm just a distraction. Uh, is that a problem? No. No. Use me. Okay. Use me, absolutely. I also want to talk about um, that scene between Alex and his dad at the drive-in. That's, I think, really the first time we really get to see this, you know, this dynamic and kind of Alex trying to stand up to him. But at the same time, his dad knows so well how to, you know, play into his fears and... I love that we get a little moment where we see that they are looking at Michael and Michael is also looking at them. Maybe you ought to call it a night, huh? Use the evening to educate yourself on how to properly represent your country. Do I embarrass you, Dad? You are a decorated Purple Heart Airman with three deployments under his belt. Garen is arrested once a week for gambling and bar fighting. Seems to me the only one you're embarrassing is yourself, so. You know, um, so you, and in hindsight, you're like, oh my God, you know, like with what's, what went down that we learn after. But you don't know at that point. Yeah, exactly. But you see Michael being like, haha, crap, you know. Well, I was, I was deep in my blog recently looking for a post and I found one from from when I was like live blogging this episode and I, I wrote something about how it seemed like Jesse just didn't approve of Michael, that he didn't necessarily disapprove of Alex being gay. He just disapproved of Alex being with Michael and knowing what I, knowing what we know now, it's like, Hmm, 
that's that's an awful scene. Uh-huh. But at that time I was like, oh, maybe Jesse's not all that bad. Well, because I mean, right. I mean, you, you know, you, the hindsight is easy, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we don't know at that point. I mean, we know he's pretty terrible. But at that point, you certainly don't know the extent of it. And that makes sense that you're, you know, the, because you want, we want to see the best in characters, mm-hmm. right? We want to, we don't want to think that that could exist from a, you know, from anyone, but especially a father to a son. Like, you don't want to assume that something like that could happen. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes, it makes sense that we want, at least that early on when you're watching it, you want to hope that there's some, that there is going to be some sort of like. Like a redeemable quality. Son, redeemable, right. That they, you know, because that's what, you know, that's realistically obviously there's no redeemable qualities but having grown up watching uh one life to live i should have known that trevor st john couldn't play a good character do you want to know the hardest thing about this show is that he, he is so fine and <laughs> i watch so the show and i'm like i hate myself because it's there's such a you know i'm like he's so fine and then you watch and you're like he's such a piece of shit in the show but he's such a wonderful guy in real life in terms of, you know, interviews and things that he said. And he's so hot. It's so funny. I'm like, well, I don't I'm conflicted. Um, you know, I, I think when it comes to, to Jesse, I'm assuming he's going to be in season two. I don't know. Yeah. Um, again, I don't really pay attention. I'm ass- I mean, I'm assuming, obviously, um, in some in some way. And so I really not that I think that they would, but. I hope there's no attempt to ever redeem anything. No, I want him to stay a bad guy. Like, I hate this idea that all the bad guys get redeemed. And I just I want Jesse to stay evil because you got to have a bad guy, first of all. And second of all, some people just suck as humans. And I think that that has to be shown. But I do I do have a feeling that we're going to get some kind of redemption for jesse just because this is the cw and look at what they did with like the originals and stuff i mean they're they were the villains for two or three seasons on vampire diaries and then they got their own show right so i'm not holding my breath i feel like we're going to get some kind of jesse redemption at some point i mean i think they not that they tried it as a you know as a show's narrative but they try it you know they did show him trying himself trying to redeem himself if that makes sense in later episodes uh which doesn't work of course because you as you know we as the audience is not redeemable Mm -hmm. but to himself he is in what he does Mm -hmm. you know he he completely justifies himself well i don't think he feels like he needs redemption yeah he feels like he hasn't done anything wrong he's always doing the right thing in his mind which to me makes a good villain a good villain doesn't think that they're the villain. And so the fact that Jesse thinks that he's doing what is right. I mean, he's not sitting here going like, I want to fuck everyone's life up because I can. Eh, he kind of does. <laughs> Alex, maybe. Yeah. But like, as far as like the aliens and, you know, even Kyle to a certain extent, he feels like he's doing the right thing. And that makes a compelling villain. Yeah. So I hope he continues to think that he's doing the right thing and tries to fuck up everyone's lives. Yeah. I kind of had something similar for episode four and we kind of ease into episode four with this. Um, I think his characterization is so good. Like, I think it makes such a good villain. Um, And he's not even the main villain of the season. So, um, but I think it's really compelling. And I think that the fact that they, like, he is a human human rights violation. He is, like, full stop. But, especially in episode four, they they nailed how he's, 
good at manipulating people, like Jenna, for example. Like, we don't see... He kind of, you know, he presents himself as this, you know, um, normal person. I'm, I'm not gonna say good, but, you know, normal. Uh, and then at the end of the, ep- the episode, he's already like, mm, okay, yes, I need something from you because I have something on you. I have a proposition for you. It's kind of a you scratch my back, I scratch yours type situation. I don't really have an itch. Your friend Charlie does. Yeah, no. It's a shame. It's an ugly situation. But I could help. If. If you could help me with a little access to the Roswell Sheriff's Department. That's how he he works throughout all of all the season and you know alex even says that uh, episode 12 i think that's how he thinks you know he has he always has something on people right which good god i just like the idea that someone who is higher up in the military that is meant to protect our country that that's you know that that living your life that way that you know people always owe you or you're going to destroy them that is it's exhausting i mean i can't even i mean because that's how you know he doesn't have like an actual emotional connection with anyone which i get you know is obviously the point um yeah but i wonder what it's going to be like when we see more of alex's family um and so it'll be interesting to see jesse in a family setting more like with his with his family members like how how they're gonna write him or if that's just how it's going to be with everyone it's going to be interesting yeah um okay so another thing i had down for episode four is kyle again i love kyle um but i love him in this episode his interactions with max in this episode and you know seeing these two men who have jobs that both kind of work around you know serving people and you know being being helpful and stuff like that you know and his hero speech to max my father was a real hero if there was something he could do to help someone he did it no matter the risk to himself why'd you become a cop evans to help people yeah that's why i became a doctor too moments like this when i'm helpless are the worst We do what we can. We're just men. We can't play God. And it's kind of like, nudge, nudge, go and save the day, you know? (laughs) And I love that moment. And I love that after, like, you know, when they see each other uh, outside of the crashdown. I became a doctor because I wanted to be a hero. Like my dad. I wanted the glory. But glory isn't why you became a cop, is it? No. Have a good night. It's like, thank you. You know, it's it's so nice because Max is such an asshole to him. <laughs> Kyle is just so nice. I hope that Kyle continues to be like the voice of reason on this show. Mm-hmm. You know, right? Like, just kind of the one that's in the background, and when everybody's coming up with all these crazy, stupid plans, he's like, um. Maybe we could try something else. I want him to pop up in random scenes and then just give people advice and walk away. Because he's kind of done that a lot 
just sort of like pop up, yeah, just and and just sort of like give sage advice to everyone, um, and, and that makes sense. And then people, of course, won't listen and do the exact opposite. But he's like, "I'm trying, yeah. bitch. I tried. Like I, I tried to do this." <laughs> <laughs> Poor Kyle. Speaking of um, not rational characters, let's talk about Liz and her detective work because. How is every logical step going to be someone was sleeping with my sister? Well, because all she knows is that her sister is being secretive. She's sneaking out. She has drug problems. She has mental health issues. Not that I think that the show goes that deep. But that, in her mind, could explain a lot about Rosa that she doesn't understand. That could be just a big, you know, a big step. and, And also... She's looking for any sort of reason, and I think that makes sense. To me, it, it, it's, it makes sense why she would jump to those things. Mm-hmm. I would have done the same thing. That's a lot. <laughs> I think if I, my teenage sister, if I had had the same evidence and the same desire to find answers, I feel like I would have jumped to the same conclusions. Whether or not that's logical and rational, now that, of course, probably not. But she's, you know, not operating under a lot of logic and rationality at this point. I mean, it's all it's all emotion. I think I probably would have jumped to the same conclusions. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting how they, I think it's in episode three that they post her, you know, she has this whole speech about the, you know, the scientific method. The scientific method requires the scientist to eliminate all personal bias and outside influence. So it doesn't matter that Max Evans saved my life or that 10 years ago, He was the only person who made me smile after my mom left. Or how I feel when he looks at me now. What matters is the science. Um, you know, gathering gathering evidence and not being, you know, having to remove all emotional uh, bias and all of that. And then she does the exact opposite. You know, that's that's kind of interesting. Right, right. I was kind of thinking maybe... We can talk about a little about Isabel trying to train her power on on Maria. No, no. Don't hold back. Open up your mind. What else do you see? Oops. Looks like it's my turn now. Um, that's an interesting thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I hope that they pick that up again, because that was really interesting to me. Well, and I think, you know, it's, um, you know, it comes down to, again, and we've talked about this before, is um, Isabel's sarcasm and anger and meanness is always turned to other women. And by that the extension, it's other women of color or women of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I'm excited and hopeful that we'll get scenes of Isabel and Maria and Isabel and Liz yeah. that are not so, you know, rooted in all of this anger that there's there's something explored beyond that because that scene is a lot. <laughs> Isabel's really a bitch. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's sort of the scene that, that you know, the focus of the um, Maribel ship which makes sense i mean that was a pretty intense scene but yeah it's kind of the only one as well (laughs) right the only one right well and part of i think we've talked about this before i think during the the women of roswell episode and i wonder if some of isabel's attitude and actions towards liz and maria in particular is maybe somewhat noah's influence to keep her isolated right 
maybe she's not really such a giant bitch. I mean, she's still a, she's still a bitch, and I love it, but right. But at this point, we don't know Isabel, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we we we're starting over with our characterization of Isabel, and I think that that's how we have to view season two because there's a lot about Isabel that you know we have to separate Isabel from Noah Isabel, mm-hmm. and and that's why you know season two is a great opportunity yeah. for you know sort of a clean slate for her interaction with everyone. Um, and how, how they're going to write her in terms of, you know, is she going to be more vulnerable? Is she going to, you know, seek out those friendships that he isolated her from? I mean, my hope is always yes, eventually. That's the that's the end game. Well, and I I love seeing female friendships in media. Like, it's yeah. just, I mean, shipping, yes, of course. But, like, I love seeing strong platonic female friendships that aren't competitive that aren't you know especially you know when it comes to like fighting over male characters or whatever i just like seeing i just want to see girls being friends so i and i want that for isabel absolutely so um episode five uh my favorite personal favorite thing about episode five is that we finally get to see alex um in his own right you know and he we kind of we finally get to see his personality you know he really comes out as as a character by himself and not you know connected to michael and with that relationship and i absolutely adore his no bullshit attitude with kyle and you know calling kyle out Uh, and yeah so let's talk about alex a little bit we haven't talked about alex at all in this episode yet alex is i mean despite you know popular opinion alex is my favorite character i love alex i could talk about alex all day long uh, I love that he, you know, this This is a good episode where he's, you know, Alex is an asshole. And I wish more people <laughs> would accept that he's an asshole. And it doesn't make him a bad person. Yeah, it makes him a great character. A well-rounded yeah. one, a complex one, a, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. every part of that that episode with, you know, Alex and Kyle is, is great. Because, I mean, you know, Alex gets to say some of the things to Kyle that he's wanted to say for a long time. We were a good team. Yeah. Until you grew one chest hair and instantly became a nightmare of a bully. Like some bro jock from an 80s movie. I don't know why I was like that. Because I was gay. People started to notice and... You were afraid that if you were nice to me, people would think you were gay too. I'm sorry. I I didn't think that. Please. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been through a lot worse than your locker room taunting at this point. And he deserved to be able to say that to someone who, you know, mm-hmm. tr- treated him like shit. Yeah. And it, you know, I, I kind of wish there'd been a little bit more between Kyle and Alex in terms of confronting some of their past mm-hmm. issues with one another. And, you know, who knows if that's ever going to come up again. But that was that was one of the best parts of the episode. Oh, that's a great scene. And he's so fearless despite everything that's happened to him, I don't know that I would be that way if I had gone through what he had gone through. You know, I think you could almost be a little more timid after everything because God, all these bad things have happened to you. Like, why would you push the envelope like that? And instead he's, he's fearless and he's, you know, he's not afraid to call people on their bullshit. And it's 
beautiful. Especially with Kyle, because at this point, Alex has seen so much worse than some dumbass teenage homophobic jock idiot. Because, I mean, that's, you've seen, he's seen so much more than that, um, and experienced so much more than that. And Kyle has clearly changed from where he was when they were in high school, which is, I'm not a huge fan of the redeeming of the homophobic bully, but I think in Kyle's case, it really works. Um, I do wish that he had maybe apologized a little bit more or they'd mm-hmm. framed it a little bit differently. There are, and just like any other thing, you know, there's only 13 episodes. We only have a limited amount of time. You know, there's, there's things that I wished would happen that didn't. Um, mm-hmm. But I think in this case, that whole, you know, redeeming of the bully sort of worked out. Um, what I don't want to see is redeeming of the homophobic bully who's actually queer in real life. Yeah, no, I don't want to see that either. I mean, nothing against Kylex as a ship, you know, for fandom. Like, you know, do you, but... Um, oh, and, and I, I, think, get, I get why you would ship them. Good God. I yeah, uh, and I think there's, um, you know, um, fan fiction gives a whole lot more space to exploring that than not mm-hmm. what could be done on in canon right i think because there's so much you know there's so much going on that i don't think that necessarily have the time to do that correctly so you know kylix okay that you know do that but i don't think i would want to see that in canon i also want to i also want to see female queer rep before i see another male character explore his sexuality right yeah yeah, but I did want to I did want to go back really briefly because and this is going to make me f- sound like a, a fandom elder here, you know, when it comes to like shipping Kylex or whatever. And, you know, I ship Kylex in like a fandom sense in in a fan fiction, yeah. you know, since I, would, I don't want to see it on the show. And there's kind of been this evolution in fandom where if you ship something, you want to see it happen in canon mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. There is a there's a very big difference. There are a lot of ships that I have and Mick and I had a conversation about some of my unhealthy shipping yeah. tastes the other day um, that I want to see in fan fiction that I want to read about that I but I don't want to see it in the show necessarily. And there there can be a line. One hundred percent. Just because you ship yeah. something doesn't mean that you have to be that you have to want it in your canon. And I think that that idea has kind of disappeared right. you know and it's like if you ship something and you sh- and it's problematic you're problematic for shipping it because you want to see this on the show and that's not necessarily the case so there's a lot of potential with a lot of different pairings on this show yeah in a fandom sense and that's okay you can you can want that and not have it be canon on the show mm-hmm. yeah So the other thing that I want, I think it's big in this episode is the pot squad dynamic and how that changes in the, in the episode. And I I know we already should talk Max so much, but I, I do want to talk about his rage issues. I hate, I hate, I hate that scene of him yelling at them at the truck. I hate it. I'm sorry. I hate it. We were just trying to protect the secret, Max. You were all smitten and messed up, and you wanted to tell Liz. I was a smitten. I loved her. How was I supposed to know that? I don't know, Isabel. Maybe if you were a damn mind reader. I thought you had a crush. A dangerous one that could threaten all of our lives, including yours. And you made the rules our entire lives. Never be extraordinary. Just once, we made a game-time decision. It was for your own good. You lied for ten years! 
sometimes you keep things from the people that you love to protect them. Hey, kind of like how you've been lying to the love of your life about this little murder thing, you know? Rosa and her friends? Ever since Liz drove away, I have never been happy, not once. I have been idling because I didn't think I deserved a goodbye. And do you know what got me out of bed in the morning? How much I loved you two. Look. This is ancient history. It's not! It is right now! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just do. I think it was violent. I think it was unnecessary. I think it was... And and they understand him on a level that other people don't, you know, and probably understand that he's overly harmless. But, and I'm so sorry, but watching a male character stand over a female character and yell at her yeah. and her look down in fear and being upset is not an image I ever want to see again. Yeah. Because that is, it's ter it's terrifying. Yeah. On top of it, they did the right thing. You know, okay, yeah, it sucks for Max that they sent Liz away. Could you imagine if Max had told Liz what happened two days after Rosa died? Like, right. I don't know whether or not it's the right thing. I don't, I think that's completely up to a personal, just, you know, to see what you think is the right thing. Regardless, the rage that he showed, I, mean, I get being angry and I get being upset. I would absolutely be both of those things. The nature of standing over Isabel in such a threatening way and then physically harming Michael, mm -hmm. uh, you know, someone that you know has been through physical abuse in his life, and then yeah. you literally throw him against a truck, snap his head back. Exactly. Um, using, you know, police officer trained, you know, way of, of moving people's bodies, right? I mean, you learn how to disarm people and you learn how to, you know, there's a lot that you learn and, and all of those things, I think, is... Does he have that kind of rage when he's a police officer? And I'm going to leave that question open-ended. We don't really have an answer for it. But I want to imagine with everything going on in cops in this country, mm -hmm. then you have a guy who says he's a good guy, but he also has rage issues. Who's a police officer? And that's pretty scary to me. Mm -hmm. so. I mean, there's, you know, it's, it's multiple things that bother me in that scene. And... It's, you know, how he yells at both of his siblings. Um, you know, it's it's upsetting for both of them because Michael, even if we haven't reached a point by this episode, we haven't really reached a point where we know about Michael's, you know, history of abuse. But we know he grew up in foster care. He, right. we, we know he didn't really, really have a good childhood. And in hindsight, it's even worse because we know about his, you know, uh, his history of abuse. And also we know that Max knows about about it. Right. So it's even worse. Right. Mm -hmm. And with Isabel, once she's a woman and she's just been through, you know, a hell of a night. She's she's vulnerable in that moment. And you're just going to tower over her and yell at her. Yeah. And the other thing that bothers me um, with it, with this whole part of the storyline is that he immediately reverts the fact that Isabel got into Liz's mind back onto himself and what that means for him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I get it from, you know, a relationship point of view, but at the same time, it would have made more sense or I, I you know, I would have liked it more 
if he had been upset because Isabel got into Liz's mind because that's a violation. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead, he's like, oh, you sent her away. I never got a goodbye. I, you know, I've been depressed for 10 years and, and all of that. Like, it's all about him. So, like, it's ugly. That scene is ugly for Max's character. Right. It's 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 not my favorite. I do. I mean, I, I enjoy pod, pod squad scenes in general. Yeah. I do like their dynamic with one another. Um, and so it's always it's always interesting to watch them. But I don't know how to see things from Max's perspective. I, do, I don't know how to. I don't think I can force myself to do it. And I don't you know, maybe I am more overly critical of Max than I am of any other character. And I think I can recognize that and know that that's true. Yeah. But I think that that is. Okay, I feel I don't feel guilty about, you know, a lot of my criticism of the show going on to Max. I feel like, yeah, that's they've made him very flawed in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I think that's the whole, sort of the whole point of how he works. But um, yeah, I think there's been a, I think there's been a lot of valid criticism of Max in fandom this season. And not that fandom should influence how the show proceeds, but I do hope that Karina or whoever maybe takes a look at it and just absorbs that idea. Mm-hmm. Not that not that fandom should not that fandom should influence how she writes the show. But sometimes you need that other perspective right. to inform your own perspective. And so I hope that, that the show kind of takes our our criticism of Max and redeems him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right. So episode six, the main thing I want to touch on, and we talked about this in the ladies episode, but I do want to discuss Rosa and Isabel again and what their dynamic means to um, queer women representation. I, I do, I do, I don't want to really focus on Isabel was possessed with, when she interacted with Rosa, but how, like we know that now. But how do they handle... Right. But let's assume that we don't know that. You know, yeah, exactly. And this, they, how they handle strictly the, the queer-coded dynamic that that was. So Right. Well, I remember, I remember the trailer for the episode coming out and everybody lost their minds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I'm, there's no other way to look at it than Isabel had, had a thing for Rosa. And I can't even, I can't even articulate how upset I was. Yeah, I mean, as you know, as a queer woman, it was really hurtful to see that. You know, it it just was. Of course, it was. We're not we're not murderers. <laughs> we're not creepy. Yeah, and you know, even not you know, even before we got to you know, the reveal, the Noah reveal, or even that Isabel was possessed. You you know, you could see in episode six that she wasn't really, you know, she was she was acting weird. But you know, they had enough clues, I think, by episode six to say that the person that Rosa was seeing wasn't a guy. Right. And then you get to episode six and, you know, you have so many moments that push you towards, you know, a queer interpretation of, of this dynamic, uh, you know, the hand holding and then Especially, I, I got that feeling, especially when Isabel, after prom, she says, You don't want your brother to know that we're friends, do you? When we first started hanging out, you said that you didn't care about my reputation. I'm not ashamed of you. So then why act like you don't know me? 
I'm not ashamed of you. Like that's such, you know, like to me, something that a queer person would say. Right. So like with this whole thing and then getting at the end, you, you know, you get this weird feeling of Isabel Gins being creepy and stalkery and stuff. Well, I mean, th- that's the key, right? That she does these creepy things, like stands behind Rosa yeah. and stare, like the look on her face. I mean, the, you know, they had her play it in a very strange way. Yeah. And I don't care if you're looking at episode six and, and other episodes in isolation and you don't know about Noah. I mean, it is mind-boggling that no one who is queer that works on this show thought, huh, maybe what we're saying right now without any other context is that, you know, queer women are predators. Mm-hmm. At no point, you know what I mean? Like the way that we're playing this, yeah. we don't have any other queer female rep. This is the only thing we've got and they've made it as creepy as humanly possible. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's extraordinarily offensive. And I think even later on, even when you know about Noah, like, it still feels like that. It still feels like, you know, interpreting queer women as predatory and it's still hurtful, even if you know that that was invisible. Right. Exactly. You know? And I think that's what colors the, I'm not a big fan of the Rosabelle ship. Does not. My own personal preference. Um, especially yeah. current day Rosabelle. That's not something I would want to see. But I'm eager to see if they're going to, you know, have queer female rep in general, if that's ever going to happen, and how they're going to sort of, you know, fix some of the issues that they they created with episode six. You know, are we we going to sort of address that? Are we going to, you know, try to normalize queer women? I have, you know, I have no idea, but they have a lot of ground to make up for in terms of, of queer female rep. Yeah, I think with, um, you know, the hint that we're going to get a queer character by the end of season two that didn't necessarily identify as queer before, uh, we don't know whether it's going to be a lady, but, you know, that's, I hope it's going to be. I mean, I think there's enough evidence. I mean, logically, I'm, I'm thinking about who it could be from who we already know. Um, so Isabel, of course, we have some evidence um, Please, Jenna. Oh, Jenna. Uh, Jenna. Let, let, let Jenna be a lesbian. <laughs> um, uh, but I think we also have enough evidence to say it's it might be Rosa. Cause, she doesn't outright reject Isabel. But she kind of does, but it's more about the creepiness of it. You yeah, know? not that she's <laughs> a woman. It's like, you're a creep, get away from me. It's, you know, before that, it's fairly romantic, you know. And I saw a post the other day uh, about Maria, possibly. Uh, I would love for Maria to be, you know, queer. And this post was really interesting, the Rosa and Maria relationship, which we didn't get to see a lot of. But I think Maria will also be interesting in how they play that in season one. Um, Her, you know, love for Rosa, um, they kind of did towards the end tip into that, you know, territory of being like it could have been romantic right um okay i had one other uh note about um the scene the last scene between liz and rosa um in episode six you are two weeks away from graduating would it kill you to do one thing that isn't perfect you know maybe i wouldn't have to be so perfect if you would if i what 
I just don't want Dad to have to worry about both of us. You know what? You are just like Mom. Nobody matters but you. I'm nothing like Mom. I'm here. I love, I love that scene. I really felt that, you know, pressure to be perfect that Liz has. But I also, it's kind of, it's really sad that that's probably the last time Liz saw his, her sister. So that's, you know, the last memory she has of Rosa is a fight. And she, that probably plays into her feelings right. about, you know, Rosa and, and Rosa's death. Mm -hmm. there's, I think there's a guilt there from that scene specifically. That makes sense, right? Right. I, you know, I it, being having siblings is such a strange reality. Anyway, I mean, it's so strange. Um, and then, especially if you have one that, if you, you know, your parents are always unknowingly, and and believe me, I say this as one, <laughs> we unfairly put kids into boxes. You know, our kids. You know, like mm -hmm. this kid is the one that does this, and this kid is the one that does that. It just starts at such a young age, even when they're babies. I mean, literally. Um, but I feel like, you know, Rose has probably always been in this particular box and Liz has always been the one, you know, she was good at school and she, you know, obeyed and, and, you know, always did what she was told or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so probably, I mean, that, that sort of pressure on you the entire time, especially when you're a teenager, explains a lot about Liz and her, her drive later on in life. And I'm that, that's, I'm so excited to, to for season two with Rosa mm -hmm. because now Liz is the older, is the older sister and... You know, she's had felt like she had to be perfect her whole life to make up for something. Yeah. And now Rosa's here and Rosa is allowed to be a flawed human and allowed to make mistakes. And it's not it's not up to Liz to be her counterpoint. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not healthy for anyone. So before we we finish this episode, we have some questions so the first one is kind of a big one. And Deanne on Twitter asked um, what we make of Noah uh, Noah's characterization in the first half of the season. Well, I think we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier. We kind of touched on it, yeah. But I love Noah. Yeah, I mean, he's right. He's a, I mean, he's a great character. And, the, you know, I mean, he's in the first half of the season. I mean, he's painted as someone who... Is a very understanding spouse to, you know, Isabel, who seems like she would be a lot. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that you know, and especially her and Max's relationship. I mean, he's painted as very mm -hmm. sympathetic and they have, you know, a healthy sex life and a healthy marriage. And they, you know, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. It, it, that's the most tragic part of it all yeah. is that he and maybe, maybe we should have known from the fact that he's really did seem he's, he's so dorky and goofy and kind of perfect. Yeah, I mean. I kind of I kind of saw the reveal coming but more because I saw Noah is too perfect and I was like there's no way they're going to you know let that happen because right you know it's the CW it's the CW so that's the only reason I don't think that in the first half of the season we really get enough hints to the fact that there might be something off about him mm -hmm. and so I kind of did see the reveal coming out of nowhere from canonical hints. Right. Um, you know, but, you know, the first half of the season, it's kind of, I wonder if we were supposed to get that wrong feeling from the fact that, you know, it's it's too perfect. It's this... I don't think they put any hints in because there's this idea and it goes beyond Roswell of these shows where they 
just have these twists out of nowhere to shock the audience and yeah a good storyteller you should be able to see these things like this coming yeah and and i think it was a failure on a storytelling part to not put any kind of hints whatsoever that noah was anything but this good guy i think that there should have and I mean, we didn't need to see him like in his own bunker because everybody has a bunker. I'm sure he had one and, you know, or in his cave or whatever, like, you know, rubbing his hands together like ha 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 ha. We didn't need to see that. Yeah. But there should have been some kind of right. hint like to me, you should be able to get this sense of, oh, maybe he's not all that he claims to be. It shouldn't be just out of nowhere. Like what? Yeah, right. So more questions. Uh, we uh, on Twitter has basically a question for every uh, episode. Um, we love her. <laughs> episode one, thank you. Um, episode one was, uh, why do we think that the Air Force purchased Foster Ranch and what are they planning to do there? I, I think just, you know, just the base, you know, just what Alex says. I think it's going to play into stuff in the future, but... Oh, yeah. I, I mean, the Air Force, the Air Force, I mean, and the military in general, I mean, there's property all over the country, and, you know, it's it's just what they do, and, you know, who who knows if it's going to be something top secret or just something really kind of boring. Um, I think that the, the fact that they, it's part of the story, I think there has to be a point to it, story-wise. Yeah. Or I think, it, you know, it's an interesting... It's such a weird inclusion in the show. Of course, it's to move the plot along in, in some ways to get Michael and Alex to interact. Mm. Um, so it's very plotty in that way. Um, but it does sort of just show, you know, the government just coming in, do, doing what they want, doing their thing. You know, it's such a, yeah. again, show is not very subtle in its views on the military. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the second uh, question for episode two, uh, it's two questions, actually. And one is, the second pick in Rose's autopsy, uh, which I rewatched the episode, but I genuinely cannot figure out what that is. I think it's just, you know, pictures from the autopsy, you know, it's just they take pictures and they're they're all on file. I don't think there's really anything more to it. Um, and the other question is uh, related to the handprint, actually, is why did, did Wyatt not get a handprint? And my personal reply for it is, is that I don't think he went and Max went far enough with him to actually, you know, give him a handprint. Yeah, I think it's probably more. I feel OK, maybe I'm, I'm making this up completely. <laughs> I wonder if it has something to do with more intent or maybe it is like a deep emotion and plus intent i don't know yeah but i mean with with isabel killing rosa there was intent and the handprint showed up and max was really intent in killing wyatt which he didn't get to because max inter michael interrupted i mean it's i think it's just the handprint didn't show up because it wasn't it didn't work in the storyline right and then, you know, I don't want to say that about everything we don't have an answer for, because who knows? But I think there's sometimes that a plot hole is just a plot hole. Yeah. Um, this is a quick, quick one. Episode three. What about Liz's fiance? I mean, I want to know about him, too. Like, what is that about? And I think my personal uh, thought on this is that we will. He's been name dropped too many times for us not to meet him at some point. Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. I agree. I think we'll see him at some point. I think 
but I, I would like to see him show up maybe for one episode and not be involved with the alien stuff at all and just kind of have him as I wanted to have a conversation with Liz asking questions about Liz. Yeah. Like yeah. getting some more info about Liz and, you know, finding out why she just dropped everything and ran. I mean, I mm. think that that, you know, could develop, help develop a little bit more of Liz's character. I mean, I, that w- I would love that. Yeah. Um, anything to make, you know, Max or Kyle a little jealous. I'm okay with. <laughs> and okay. And the last question was how did the aliens figure out the accident? thing i have no idea i think that michael experimented uh with it and then just drunk stuff and then he told everyone else i don't yeah like, because of course of course garen would sit there and go uh i think i should drink nail polish remover well there might be i'm talking to three very much non-scientists here i have no idea there might be something in acetone that made logical sense for him to try i don't know anyone who knows anything about science and didn't go to art school like i did please let us know that there's maybe this would make more logical sense rather than michael just randomly drinking things in hopes of i want to see all the experiments before they got to the acetone right like of all things nail polish that's just so bizarre to me so there's got to be something there I don't know. It's it. That's always cracks me up. Every single time, time I see him chug out of a nail polish remover bottle, and I know it wasn't meant to be funny, but when Noah <laughs> like empties the thing, dumps like, them out, dumps front, them out. <laughs> I just like it's it it's because nail polish represents so much, you know, other things. It just cracks me up every time, and it's it's yeah. And I mean. They could be more subtle about it. Like, you know, put it in a flask or something. Like, don't chug it out of the bottle. So I just want to know, like, imagine, like, trying to justify to someone, like, why do you have nine bottles of nail polish remover? Like, I, that's just so funny to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. So that was uh, the first part of a season one recap. We'll be out next month we think with the second part and uh for now thank you guys for listening and thank you to my co-host and we'll see you next month thank you bye guys bye